It's Lauren. Chelsea is not on today's episode because her beloved dog, Francis Keto, passed away suddenly this week. But I think we can all agree that the last thing she needs is the emotional labor of watching and in just like that episode and the possibility of a Richard Burton jump scare. But fear not, I am not alone this week. I couldn't think of a better co-host than our friend Carly Shortino. Say that right? Yes, you did. <laughs> Guys, I just learned that I've been mispronouncing Carly's last name the entire time of our friendship. Anyway, you probably know her. She's a sex and relationship writer for Vogue. Chell and I call you the IRL Carrie Bradshaw. Best compliment of all time. Is it or is it a curse considering what Carrie Bradshaw has become? Oh, I haven't thought about that. I don't think I've been called that since and just like that. But I don't know. It always was so aspirational to me what she did. But given that now <laughs> she's... You know, our sex negative queen, I guess maybe not. I know. So what did you think of this episode? We watched it together. We had to pause it many times. I'll just personally say I'm fully out of the acceptance stage. I'm back to anger. This episode was insane. But Carly, what did you think? Well, I know that you feel like that because we watched it together and you literally paused the episode, mid-episode, and screamed that exact sentence like at the top of your lungs. (laughs) I feel like I got back to anger last week, too. Okay. I liked seven and eight, and I don't think you guys liked eight that much. Seven was when Aiden appeared, and then eight was the second episode after that, and I thought both of those episodes were good. And then I didn't care last episode about, like, Brady and Lily's whole thing, and I was like, the kids are back, and I'm bored. The stakes could not be lower. Speaking of which, let's get into it. So Carrie and Eden are at Coney Island. Carrie reveals that despite living in New York for 35 years, she has never been in Coney Island. If you guys had seen the paparazzi photos while they were filming, we knew that they were visiting Steve. What we did know is that Steve has opened a Coney Island restaurant that Aiden has invested in. I would want to eat there. I thought that restaurant looked really cool. My note from this scene was, I want to fuck Steve. He's my ideal man. Okay. I feel like he's the sexiest character on the show. Yeah, I mean, if our options are Harry, Aiden, Big is, you know, spun off this mortal coil, I guess we're left with Steve. Well, Steve and Seema, I mean, even of the women, I feel like he has this masculine energy and I like the fact that he like works at a restaurant and he was like lifting a box you know and he like eats hot dogs like I bet he smells good and he's such a good actor I feel like he's the most consistently good actor on the show I kind of wonder whether that's because he kind of stayed true to his original character more than the other so his dialogue triggers me less but I always like when he's on screen. Yeah, I guess I was too focused on the fact that they do acknowledge that Aiden was a silent investor in Scout, but somehow got his money out. And now there's only one person you can hit up for money, and that's Aiden Shaw. Oh, yeah. But I mean, the biggest trigger is that they, in the show, treat Scout like it's in Brooklyn. Yeah, we did skip over this last episode, mostly because I was like, I probably heard wrong. And then a bunch of people called in and was like, No, now they're saying Scout was in Brooklyn, which I'm sure the writers would be like, oh, he opened up a second location in between the movies and this new series. I just think that they don't know. I mean, the whole thing is it's on Mulberry Street, right? We all remember that 
Carrie brings Aiden the mulberry plant as a gift because the bar's on Mulberry Street. But what's crazy is, okay, so I listened to the Writer's Room podcast. (laughs) Michael Patrick King is like, during this scene, he's like, I love Steve. I created the character of Steve in, I don't know, season two or three or four. I don't remember. And then he goes on and I'm like, you think you maybe created the character of Steve in season four? Like, Miranda gets pregnant in season four. Like, They've been on and off for literally years at that point. That's the whole thing. Like, they're friends now. He gets cancer. She pity fucks him. (laughs) Like, that's like, I actually went back and looked because every time I watch the show, I'm actually surprised how early he comes in. And I knew it was season two, but it was actually episode eight of season two. Carrie, ever the bad friend, forgets that she was supposed to meet Miranda at a bar that Steve is the bartender for. That line really triggered me. I was like, I cannot believe you don't know when Steve appeared in the show, even what season. Well, also, they're kind of retconning Steve as a born and bred Brooklyn boy when he's from Queens. He explains that when all this shit was going down with Miranda, he would come to Cody Island and look at the ocean. And I turned to you and I was like, and he contemplated suicide because that, <laughs> that's truly where I thought that that was going. And he's like, I just wanted to get away from bougie Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. That's the whole thing. And his mom is so Queens. I genuinely think that they don't remember the show and don't care enough to Google it because the whole show feels very like first pass. Well, yes, you are. I discussed this from a writing perspective. You have co-created a show, you've written a show, you know how much it takes. So you know how much effort is going into this. And yet, so many bizarre missed opportunities. Everyone writes like a first pass where you just sort of like get it out, you make bad jokes, but you know like, okay, this is the place where our joke's gonna go. Any piece of writing, like even if it's an essay. But it just feels like the scripts remained at like the bad pitch version. Yeah, they're often called vomit passes because you're like, let's just vomit (laughs) something out. But the vomit passes have made it through every single stage. I know, it's just like, try a little harder. Like the jokes just don't land. The last few episodes, I felt like there was some joy in it again. And then this episode, I felt the actresses feel like they're saying their dialogue with guns to their heads because... They know it's not funny. The attempts at humor is Aiden calling Carrie old Uh. repeatedly (laughs) during this scene. So it's going to be a hot dog and clams place. It's a real restaurant called Paul's Daughter, which someone called into the hotline and was like, you know what? This is amazing continuity because I went back and in season four, when Steve and Miranda are discussing baby names, he says, what about Paul? But that's not what it is. It's an existing restaurant called Paul's Daughter. Oh, really? Strange. Like, it does feel like Steve would do that. And you're excited for him because you're like, oh, he's getting his life back. And then Michael Patrick King says in the Writers Room podcast that that was actually the actor's idea. What's his name? Oh, David uh, Ennenberg. Although we know I can't be trusted pronouncing people's last names. Something like that, adjacent to that. But I guess he never pitched plot lines, really. And this one he actually did. He was like, I think Steve would do this. So that was... His, his idea. Well, Chell and I talk about how we feel like one way to make sense of it just like that is that this is all an attempt or almost a trailer for a ton of spinoff shows that I would actually watch. Like I would watch Stephen Brady running their Coney Island clam and hot dog shack. Yeah, me too. But alas, it is not. <laughs> so Miranda's boss comes back from maternity leave of which she's only taken a few weeks and she 
kind of admonishes the interns, these poor interns, <laughs> by saying, take that slight judgmental tone out of your voice, which if someone said that to me, I'd be like, okay, <laughs> let's take this down a few notches. I just simply said, hello, and you're back. And then Miranda reveals that she took 12 weeks off of maternity leave, which does not feel correct for her character. Remember, she had two nannies. So she had Maga, and then she got that other nanny. The night nurse. The lactation nurse, right? Like, immediately. Rosemarie DeWitt appears in either the fifth season or the sixth season. Guys, I'm sorry, I didn't look it up. But she's the one that rats out Miranda for leaving the office early. And Miranda makes the point that, just so you know, when my mother died, I was back in the office on Monday. So Miranda took three months off of maternity leave. I doubt it. Yeah, it's just like that wouldn't happen. Like, we all know this wouldn't happen. We're frustrated on a loop forever. (laughs) What are they even trying to say about motherhood or working mothers? Wouldn't that be an opportunity for Miranda to be like, yeah, I also, I only took six weeks off. Like, I'm here for you. It's almost like you say they retcon it because back when this show was airing late 90s, early 2000s, it would have been seen as like, Miranda's like the feminist one. She cares about her job. She's not going to let her baby make her not work 80 hours a week like that was empowerment and I think today's version of being empowered is like if she would have broken the mold and taken three months off so they just pretend that that's what she did then because they wish I don't know they're trying to like make the characters into versions of themselves that they would have like written today or something yeah they're trying to correct uh and write it as if the social mores of today is what it was like 20 years ago exactly you said it uh, faster than me but yes (laughs) i have practice trying to make sense of this fucking show but again you're like oh okay so miranda's no longer the boss now that her boss who she was covering for is back it's like no you're just gonna be my right hand woman from now on it's like okay, well, there goes any dramatic tension. Oh, no, this show's not a fan of dramatic tension. I feel like I'm just being a cunt from hell. And, like, usually you're a cunt from hell. hell, yeah. And then you have Chelsea to balance it out. And I feel like maybe I should try and be more Chelsea, but I don't know. I'll see. see. You know what? It's your first go around, and it's just so maddening. You have to get it out. It's like poison, Carly. I know. I know, because I was once there. But then we've got... Charlotte showing Sam Smith some Alex Israel paintings, which you're like, cool. Maybe this is going to be like that episode from season two or three where Charlotte dates the rock star because he's trying to buy art. No, it's just Sam Smith in as a as a cameo. Looking crazy, but I do love them. It's not even about Sam Smith because God forbid we have a fun celebrity cameo that helps the plot. No, because Rock has to call and be like, I forgot this thing at school. So then Charlotte calls Harry, who then exclaims, that's not an emergency. I was kind of shocked that they, from a production standpoint, they found a whole other set or went on location to shoot Harry in an office because we've never seen him at work since season five. As you guys have said a million times, you wanted Charlotte to get a work plot line. I do like her at work and I love the outfits that she gets at work, but it's annoying that all the work plot lines are basically that her kids are making it difficult for her to just be present at work. What's interesting, and I would love to get your television writing perspective is the amount of stuff that they just resolve within an episode versus something like Charlotte's work storyline, which they've teased for several episodes throughout the season, only to get to the penultimate episode of this season to finally get where we want to be, which is like, I didn't need four or five episodes of buildup about how 
Charlotte's children walk all over her. I would have gotten that in an episode or two. I wish that this show started like episode seven of this season and that that was the beginning of it just like that. And now we had 20 episodes starting from there. I guess this is setting up that Charlotte is building to a boiling point and soon will not be able to take her family's bullshit. But until then, we've got LTW, Charlotte, Carrie, Miranda... This whole season, there's been various combinations of the girls at brunch. What is your favorite combo? I love Seema. Like, I genuinely think that she's an incredible character. Like, I would watch a spinoff show about her. I think she's one of the hottest women who has ever walked the face of Earth. I like them and her, but I also like them and LTW. As long as the three of them are together, I don't mind. I like Anthony I just want to see the three of them. I like them alone, though, sometimes. We only got one or two times that it's the OG three. I can only think of one. At brunch, but then I'm also counting them looking at the apartment together. Oh, yeah, I know. That's what's missing in the show. Although I always like Anthony on screen. Oh, we'll get into Anthony's plot line in a little bit. But what's your favorite? Seema with the three girls. Because Seema is very clearly the Samantha stand-in. The mm-hmm. closest Samantha stand-in we have. But... The dialogue in this scene is insane. They are at a vegan brunch restaurant. I mean, to be fair, in the original series, they would... Remember, they went to Raw when Raw Foods was a huge thing in the early 2000s. So that's certainly in line. But there's this bizarre dialogue about like, oh, I love these zucchini chips. I live for these chips. And then Miranda goes, well, you need something to live for, (laughs) which Cynthia Nixon's delivery of that... I agree with you. Does feel like she's got a gun to her head to deliver that because it's so sad and weird. I also wrote that you again had to pause at this place and it looked like your your face was like you looked like when you chug something that tastes really bad <laughs> and you're like struggling to breathe. Do they know episodes of television are a limited amount of time? So the things that you choose to make people say like matter, like, you know what I mean? It's like, why is that dialogue that's being said in the show? Like, why are they talking about multiple lines, how good these chips are, but not saying anything interesting and not saying anything funny? It's just like, just say something more interesting. I mean, this isn't helping them beat the uh, AI rumors and probably rumors we started of like, are studios secretly trying to put forth AI written shows to see how we will accept it as an audience? I don't know, but I just can't believe how bad the dialogue is. And then, and these actors are so good. And you know, when they have, there was a lot of moments in the scene where like they kind of look at each other and they're like, ha, ha, ha. like I have to fake laugh as if the other person is saying something funny, but they're not actually saying something funny. And I'm like, their acting chops can't even get them through how bad this dialogue is. That and pretending to be drunk realistically on film is the most difficult thing to do. Which Charlotte honestly does so well later. This scene is also weird because as an audience, we know that LTW is pregnant and there's this kind of who's on first-esque comedy bit where Charlotte's like, tell them your big news and it's about the pbs thing to which miranda says they're ken burnsing you charlotte's like no the other thing and i'm like oh okay they're gonna reveal the pregnancy now and then ltw is like oh no i won a michelin star chef dinner uh for 16 but for whatever reason i can't host it like carrie would you like this which is so clunky and weird and if you knew you were gonna do this like 
they went to a school function for Halloween. Like you could have just set that up there, right? Oh yeah, I don't even think I understood what was happening. It's all just to get the phrase, we're gonna have the last supper at Carrie's old apartment. Because for some reason she's like, well, certainly my gigantic Gramercy Park townhouse can't accommodate this. But you know what? How about my empty studio apartment? I always think of a studio as being defined by the fact that if you're in bed, you could see like your refrigerator. And we never really get a view from Carrie in bed to see whether you can see her kitchen from her bedroom. Yeah, that is the most unrealistic thing about Carrie's apartment is that segmented, almost vestibule-esque kitchen that she has. Yeah, and there's a hallway when she walks in. I would say that that's like an elevator and that giant walk-in closet. I don't think that's a studio. Fair enough. So then we get... Miranda and Carrie coming down the stairs. They're at the Essex Market, I believe. Okay, yeah. I think Paul shouted that out from the background when we were watching the episode. Miranda in a a fabulous jumpsuit reveals that she'll be working at the UN because why fucking not? From intern at the Human Rights Watch to now secretary at the UN, whatever. At least I'm happy for her. I also feel like she's been looking so hot in these last episodes. She looks so good in a jumpsuit. She looks so good in that green suit in the other episode i like that her hair is like short and kind of slicked back in a way that's kind of masculine yeah i mean we're finally getting kind of butch miranda which is all we've ever wanted it's how she looks objectively the hottest carrie of course reveals that she not only has she never been to coney island until the other day she's never technically been to the un because while she went there for an eighth grade school trip i think it was eighth grade she decided to go to the fiorucci store and get pink jelly slippers (laughs) that's funny it is bizarre that carrie is more enmeshed in miranda's life than Miranda is in a way like Carrie is the one telling her about Steve's new place which I thought there was going to be a comedy bit here where Miranda thinks that Steve's gotten a new apartment but really Carrie's talking about his new restaurant because to keep saying a new place wouldn't you be like oh he's starting his new restaurant venture does she assume that Miranda doesn't know it's clear that she doesn't you she would know that from Brady right the amount of time, effort, money that would be going on into opening a restaurant would be pretty intense, right? Well, Miranda didn't know that Brady was working at Scout. So it's it's this weird thing where they've made Miranda this overly nurturing mother, right? Like leaving Los Angeles to meet Brady when he comes back from his European trip, which was insane, to also her <laughs> being... <laughs> A very absent mother who has no idea what's going on with her ex or her child. This is not the thing that infuriates me, but I totally see where you're coming from. But of all the things to be mad about, I'm not that mad about this one. Fair enough. Also, Carrie is telling Miranda about Che's new comedy show. I gasped at that. I kind of thought, assumed it might be coming, but I was like, oh my God, we're going to have to see Che do stand up again. Like, I don't know if I can mentally handle that right now. Boy, was it brutal. And in a different way than the comedy concert was brutal. Obviously, the ladies have segmented off because Charlotte and LTW are now in some fabulous home goods store. Where did you think they were? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I I wouldn't let my mind even go there. This is where LTW tells Charlotte that she's pregnant, to which I was like, oh, so Charlotte didn't know. Yes, she didn't know. And I do have to say, I liked this scene. Like, I liked... Charlotte's emotional reaction to the information. It felt like she was really invested. She got emotional because I I feel like one of the ways that it's disappointing is I feel like this show was always about female friendship and we're here for the relationships ultimately 
between these women. And in this show, like they just drop these giant bombs. And then it just seems like the other person doesn't give a fuck. Like Carrie's like, was big, a big mistake, like biggest example. And then Miranda's like, wow, I don't know what to say about that. And then they just literally move on and don't talk about it at all. And it's like, imagine if I said to you like, man, after my last breakup, like, I really feel like I wasted the last five years of my life. Like, wouldn't you say something like, how come? No. Tell me about that. No, Carly, we would just cut to a scene of me and Chelsea having lunch. <laughs> yeah, just to be like, huh, literally no reaction. Anyways, and I feel like it's the same with Carrie. Like, like Miranda became queer as a 50-something woman. And Carrie was like, please don't tell me the sexual details. Like, I'm going to lose my lunch was sort of her overarching response. A true writer, and especially someone that has a three-book deal they haven't fulfilled yet, would be like, tell me more. Maybe I can use this in my next book. You know how I used all of your sex lives <laughs> for my career, and that's how I'm able to be an author now? Charlotte's advice to LTW is like, you're you, you can do anything. And LTW is like, I can't. Like, I thought this was finally my time. And now I'm going to have to take care of a kid for the next 18 years. And she begins to cry. And I was like, oh, okay. Because last episode we were discussing, like, this could be interesting. Are they introducing a, like, 50-something-year-old abortion storyline. Like, that's new territory. That feels transgressive, but also really important. And the answer is no. I thought that's where Charlotte was like, in a way, almost the reversal of her conversation with Miranda when Miranda got pregnant of like, oh, this is a great opportunity to bring that up to LTW. It, Charlotte being like, well, you know, you do have options. Instead, she's just like, girl, you got this. Yeah, I feel like it's hard. It would be hard in a conversation if someone was like, I got pregnant. Like, the first thing you say is like, well, should you get an abortion? I feel like there's like a buffer period where you're first like are encouraging. But does she bring it up here? Like, no, it's it's oh, LTW's really? husband. No, Carly, oh. the scene just ends like. LTW starts crying and then it's like, boom, we're with Che at the vet again. Oh my God. I like misremembered it where I thought that Charlotte eventually was like, well, you know, you don't have to do this. No. Uh, maybe I just like, that was my fantasy version of the scene. Yes. But that is the thing is like, I'm, I don't have a problem with any of these storylines that they want to do. Making Miranda queer, making Miranda blow up her own life, bringing Aiden back having LTW be pregnant, but the execution and where these storylines end up or how they're resolved are just so bizarre and unsatisfying. But how old do we think LTW is? Cause you just said like a 50 something pregnancy. And I don't, I, I don't think that's, that would be crazy. If Che is 46, Naya was trying to get pregnant. So let's say Naya's in her forties. I mean, I would put LTW around that age frame. Do you know that Naya, the actress, is 37? Holy shit. Yeah, Karen Pittman is born in 1986. Oh my God, she's younger than me. That's crazy. I mean, just because of the way they portray her as like difficulty having kids, which obviously people can have at any age, but just like her job, they don't make it seem like she's 20 years younger than Miranda. Yeah, they absolutely don't. So Nicole Ari Parker herself is 52. The actress that plays LTW 
Let's just put it at late 40s. I don't think you can get accidentally pregnant in your late 40s. That made me think she's maximum 45, which also seemed like, really? Again, I think that we've put more thought into this than the writers themselves. This might be a giant who cares, but I do feel like it just put me in my head where I was like, wait, what? I guess I've just been misreading the age of this character the whole time because I would have guessed she was like 52. We're with Che and Judy in this scene... Judy talks about Che's new comedy show, comedy concert, and then the the lead vet misgenders Che and says she can handle the front, and Che goes, they, they can handle the front. Then it's established that Che has been working there so long that they work there before they came out as non-binary. And so instead of this vet misgendering them, it's more that they, as Judy says, they remember you from who you were before. This is so much backstory for a penultimate episode of a season. They're just like, we got to throw in one more time of Che being misgendered. I'm just like, we get it. Like literally the amount of times on this show, people say like, they. So then we have Anthony and Giuseppe, which might be the most amusing scene of the episode, which is Giuseppe is a verse and Anthony reveals he has never bottomed. To which Giuseppe says, with all the sex and never been fucked. <laughs> yeah. And then Anthony has, again, I would imagine this is true to life from MPK's perspective of that generation, you know, younger, boomer, older Gen X generation where the, as Anthony says, the roles are very defined. I'm not the woman, which I was like, whoa, okay, this is interesting to do. Yeah. I thought that that was interesting. Like, I love their relationship i think anthony is so funny incredible such a good actor and i do think that this is true to life right like different generations of queer people having really different i mean different generations of anyone but just different experiences in terms of sexual norms and how rigid they are but it did feel kind of like the first pass version of it like i don't know if people talk like that where it felt a little bit pbs like well, in my generation, things were like this. And then it's like, well, in my generation, things are, they're talking globally rather than making it, it doesn't feel like that personal. Like it feels like a little bit of an explainer to like an alien. There, There's that. I mean, certainly the writers treat us like, like aliens for sure. But they did this the first season with Charlotte and the guy that wants to fuck her in the ass. I, what I find more interesting, I'll say, is that this is going to be a storyline that goes over to the next episode. This really felt like a storyline that could have been resolved within this episode. Yeah, ultimately, I, I did think that that was interesting because it did feel true to life. Like from what I know from my gay male friends that it is more common to be burst now than before. Have you heard about it? That it's called a side Oh. oh, no, no, no. Okay. I think Wait. if you're a top or bottom, I'm getting it wrong. If you're a side, I think that that means someone who is not into penetration. Did you know that? I didn't. But even if you're wrong, uh, <laughs> I'm sure a gay fuck it will call into the hotline and give us the whole scoop of, yeah. of terminology. I should know, but I don't. Then we cut to Seema and her Marvel director boyfriend having sex. Seema immediately says, I love you. And the director says it back, and then she has this look of shock on her face. Her face looked like the times I've had sex with guys who premature ejaculated. (laughs) It's this face of like, it's sort of the face that um, Carrie's premature ejaculation boyfriend makes. Justin Theroux. Justin Theroux, where it's like, it's coming out, but you didn't expect it. Also, my question to you is, 
Does it look like they're even having that good of sex? No, that's what I thought when I first saw it. I thought that the reveal was going to be that the sex they have isn't that good. Yeah. Those actors don't have chemistry, I think. Like, I think I said this to you before, or maybe I literally just said it to myself or my dog, because that's who I have to talk to about. And just like that, because I live <laughs> by myself. But I think that my pitch is that, that those actors don't like each other. Many people called in and sent us DMs that were like, oh, I think Aiden and Seema have fucked before. And it's like, no, I think John Corbett and the actress that plays Seema just have like real fuck energy. Her level of sex appeal is incredible to me. Like I remember I she's in Homeland and that's one of my favorite shows. And when I first watched that show, I remember Googling her just being like, who is that? Like she has this earthy incredible sexual energy like I just aspire to before I move on though do you feel like it felt the same for the audience as I was watching it as it did for her where the I love you seemed like it came out of nowhere because we haven't seen them emotionally connect ever no and I think one of the problems of only having 11 episodes but having truly 11 characters to serve is you have to have these very quick moments and you kind of can't touch down with any one person and who they choose to give time to is very interesting. I also think this lends to my belief that this is going to be a series finale and not a season finale because this really feels like, oh, fuck, we got to wrap up Seema's storyline because we've brought up the fact that she's never been in love, so we have to give her love. Even if we got one scene, like a single short scene of them having a conversation and for whatever it is Seema feels like she can be vulnerable with him like she's never had before or they have like one meaningful conversation or you see them together like laughing and experiencing joy we just never seen them even have a conversation aside from the, her talking about like real estate it's one thing for the original sex in the city to have them all paired off by the end of the series but this was really an opportunity to show like you can be self-fulfilled and not have a partner. This yet again feels very reductive to be like, if you don't have fucking love in your life, you are fucked and your life is meaningless. It would be hard to never have a relationship into your 50s. I guess she's in her 50s. But that's why I do think that it would have been nice to see like, after all these years, like, why this guy? Like, what is it about this guy? Is it because he's rich? Like, what you don't need because you're so rich. There is something about him and we're never told what it is. I don't know if you ever watched the Jane Fonda documentary that was on HBO. I think it's like Jane, Jane in five parts or something. But the first, I believe, four parts are about her relationship with men. So her dad, her first husband, her second partner, Ted Turner, and it's it's her looking back and realizing that her life was defined by the men in, in her life. And the fifth part is just her on her own and how she's the happiest being by herself. And she finally was able to find love on her own terms. And so that's why I'm like, I don't understand. Like the, the template is, is there. I would love that. I think a lot of the criticism is like, well, you're just ageist and, you know, so you can't appreciate this. And it's like, no, I, I want to. It seems like they're setting her up to be having a later in life quote. I mean, not really if she's in her late 30s, but just like the sexual exploration that she didn't get to have before. And I feel like they'll end her being happy and alone. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of happy and alone, Carrie is packing up her apartment with Lizette, 
which I was like, wait, did she give Lizette her apartment? Because <laughs> Carrie's like, what do you want? And Lizette's like, oh, I know the, the closet is off limits, to which Carrie's like, well, there's probably a few ratty bras from the 80s. And it's like, you have moved in and out of this closet several times. There was a whole montage sequence in Sex and the City 1 where you clear out your closet, but whatever. Lizette's like, well, this cool black rotary phone is cool, which really does feel like a, a Gen Z to Gen X conversation where it's like, I'll never use this rotary phone, but like, it is a vibe. Can I keep that? To which Carrie's like, that phone has calls on it. I have to take it with me. I, I just don't know where the line is. If Aiden can't go in your apartment, how is he going to feel when he sees like the phone you've had for the last 20 years in your new place? Right, like, can she bring anything? Like, what can she wear outfits that she was wearing? Because she, she still has the same body. We know she can fit into all those clothes. Where is the Vivian Westwood wedding dress going to? Oh, no. He probably loves that dress because it's the dress. Big, Big laughter of the altar. He's like, he's like, that vintage no-name suit you really did get married in, that's got to go. Uh, so Seema enters, and this is where we learn Lizette bought the apartment. This happened in between scenes. This is where I fully went insane because it's like, why would you leave the end of the last episode bizarrely open ended? Right? It could have been as easy as Carrie's like, I've got a plan. Seema is pissed off at Lizette and Carrie because Carrie sold the apartment for Lizette for no money, but. No money has to be at least a million or two dollars. Like, how much do we think this apartment is? Well, I mean, don't you know that, real estate ho? I mean, like, if it is actually... Okay, let's speculate that apartment is on the Upper East Side, which is not as much of a desirable neighborhood anymore. It's also a co-op. Also, Lizette would never live on the Upper East Side. That's the other weird thing. No, she would. I mean, if she was subletting from her gay friends and she had that incredible apartment... Like, I totally understand why you would be like, yes, I will sublate this place. But no, that person in real life would not want to live on East 73rd Street. Last episode when she was like, who would ever leave here? I was like, you don't, this is not a neighborhood that you spend more time in than just to sleep. You're in Williamsburg, maybe. Bushwick, Lower East Side, East No, Village. she's very Dime Square, I feel like, that character. Not in a mean way. I feel like she's a downtown Manhattan person. I love Lizette. Like, I would watch a spinoff about her. I would absolutely watch Lizette in the city in that apartment. Again, I think that this is just all a trailer for like, well, what about this potential spinoff or this potential spinoff? And as crazy as it sounds, I actually will take all of them. I don't think they're going to happen because I do think Michael Patrick King is actually mentally and spiritually and emotionally affected by the negative. Even though he's like, I love it. I love it all. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing that drives me the most crazy about listening to the Writer's Room podcast is how self-congratulatory they are. Like, they think that they wrote The Godfather or whatever. It's every episode, I'm like, yikes. But I do think it might be, like, a necessary defense mechanism because it probably makes them feel sad. Like, he talks about in this episode about how when Sex and the City 2 came out and there was so much negative feedback that he had, like, it was really, really emotionally difficult for him. I can completely understand. And last year, I did have a side theory that this is his way to reclaim some glory for the films. That, like, he made a series that's so insane. You look back at the movies and you're like, you know what? This isn't so bad. Because Chell and I did watch Sex and the City 2 after watching it just like that, season one. And I was like, you know what? 
Not that bad. Oh my God, I had the same experience. I mean, horribly xenophobic, but... At least like silly and fun. At least joyful. Okay, so in this scene, we do learn why Seema was freaking the fuck out. And it's because she said it way too fast, only after three and a half weeks, which I'm sure made you feel good. Because you're like, wait, they haven't even been together that long. I don't think it was like a Tourette's vibe. Like she obviously, they have connected off screen at some point. Of course, a lot of this show happens in between the episodes, such as the fact that uh, Carrie, that kitten that Che had last episode is now just hers. I know, strange, but I actually don't mind that. I'm like, oh, maybe Carrie's open. She, it, I think she's entering a more nurturing phase of her life. Yeah, I think Carrie's journey this season has been to be a little less selfish. Which is cool. I think that we have all collectively as a community been upset with what feels like not recognizing these characters sometimes and the doofusification of Miranda, et cetera, et cetera. But that to me feels like real and earned authentic character growth for Carrie, that she would be less selfish. Absolutely. So now we have Miranda leaving the UN. She flirts with some British woman named Joy. And I was like, oh, okay. So we're introducing a new love interest with an episode to go. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if the final episode's going to be long. It's two hours long. <laughs> yeah, I'm down. I spend my life complaining about the show, and if the final episode was four hours long, I'd be like, this is the greatest day of my life. <laughs> I, oh, absolutely. We would do a four-part episode. This is the worst show I've ever seen, and I never wanted to end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Naya, who is in a giant Lueve sweater, is opening up emails. Miranda returns home, is talking to her about the uh, Michelin chef. Not Michelin star chef. But Michelin chef who will be cooking at Carrie's house. And Naya says, I need anything from a Michelin chef. Just sounds weird. Yeah. Picking up from Naya's storyline last week, she gets an invite to Andre Rashad's baby shower. I love how we don't say Andre. We must always say Andre Rashad. And some people are just like that. They're full name people. Some people, yeah, you're right, are full name people. Naya then says to Miranda, you know what? Starting now, I'm going to be like you. I'm just going to cut off my exes. To which Miranda's like, I don't do that. And it's like, girl, <laughs> please go to therapy. Well, she used to be the one character of the four that did. But it's a little bizarre. I mean, Che makes a little more sense because you were with that person, what, seven months? And let's be honest, it was a fling that lasted just way too long. But to not check in with Steve for what seems like months because we're in spring now they had that blowout fight during the winter is odd and not not okay I will say during the original show she kept Steve around and and in her life as friends over years it's very weird but Naya does a move that I think I would do which is instead of not buying anything for Andre Rashad's baby shower she buys the most expensive thing on the registry so that uh Andre's baby mama will be forced to always think about her when she's pushing that baby I know it's so funny and she's obviously trying to say that she's rich or successful right and she says in the scene like I'll show you I'm a professor and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, babe, I think academia pays really badly. I don't think you can afford that stroller. I mean, but she did afford that very expensive, large Lueve sweater. I wonder if she's in credit card debt. So we're back with Che, who's watching their own special while smoking weed, which I was like, oh no, not back to the comedy concert. But it's all to show 
Che opening a file from 2012, which it's like, files don't look like this, but whatever. That's, <laughs> I, I won't even get into it. But we see, for the first time, Cheryl Diaz. Che's name would have been Cheryl. Yeah, that completely makes sense. But Cheryl's comedy, not that good. It, that's what I thought. I was like, okay, so it's always been bad, which is interesting because sometimes people are like, oh, I liked their early work. But it was like, no, Che's brand has always been I'm a comedian who's straight up not funny. Or a hacky comedian because Cheryl's jokes are all about eating and being thin. Their brand was always gender essentialism. So LTW can't sleep. She's mad at her husband because he didn't get a vasectomy eight years ago. To which his response is, oh, I thought that was the postpartum talking. Oh, interesting. This is where he is the one that introduces the abortion storyline. Although they never use the word because God forbid in the year of our Lord, 2023 they say you know do you want to discuss other options and ltw goes i thought about it but no but i am glad i have the option which felt like real liberal brain rot to be like and but we have to talk about roe versus wade and the fact that women still have a choice in new york city i almost feel like the whole point of making this character get pregnant is so that she could say the line I'm so grateful that I have the option. Nobody talks like that. Like if you were with your husband talking about whether or not you should end your pregnancy, I don't think you're like, thank God I live in a state where I have the option to get an abortion where some women have to travel miles. It's just like, really? It's just political speech that I don't think is authentic for the moment. It would have been made worse if she was like, and I and if it's a girl, I think we should call her Ruth after Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> they shot that, but it was like cut. Even Michael Patrick King was like, this is too much. This, I will say, is the most insane could have never predicted it in and just like that history this is more shocking i know we've say that almost every episode where we're like no this is more shocking than and just like that big died but anthony visits carrie he has a terrible attitude carrie has two cosmos ready and she says that stanford has a letter for him stanford has not spoken to anthony for a year and maybe it's because stanford is now a Shinto monk. And she shows him one of the most horrendous Photoshop photos I've ever seen. Not as bad as the Photoshop photos of Brady in, in Europe, though. Actually less bad than that. Those were pretty bad. I think the worst Photoshop family photos I've ever seen in a movie is the beginning of Gone in 60 Seconds, which is a Nicolas Cage, Angelina Jolie film where the whole opening sequence is like going through and showing family photos where they've horribly Photoshopped Giovanni Ribisi and Nicolas Cage together. Oh, I don't remember that, but at least maybe they had the excuse of it not being as advanced back then where now you could just tell an AI like Brady in front of the Eiffel Tower and it would have done a better job. But then thankfully, Anthony, who I mean, Anthony is our spirit animal is like, get the fuck out of here. What is with this Photoshop? And I was like, (laughs) yes. So Carrie reads Stanford's letter and says, I would have told Anthony myself, but he'd make fun of it, which is the mechanism for Anthony to decide to bottom. <laughs> like, it's so wild. <laughs> I actually forgot about that. Because he's oh like... Oh, my God. Because remember, Anthony's like, oh, well, here's Stanford. He wants no attachments. Uh, he let go of everything, and I'm still holding on to, like, whether or not I should bottom. Stanford let go of everything, and I'm still holding on to my anal cherry. It's like, what is happening? I know. Oh, my God. Like, I've seen a photo of... St- 
Stanford dressed as a Shinto monk and now I'm like going straight to buy some poppers. LOL. So Carrie and Anthony chug their cosmos and that's just, that's the end of the scene. No more. Well, when this scene came on, you literally screamed. (laughs) Paul was watching it as well. And we just silently stared at each other because you were having like an actual breakdown. But I do have, um, again, insider knowledge from the Writers Room podcast, which is after Sex in the City 2, when it got all the negative backlash, Michael Patrick King and Sarah Jessica Parker were so depressed and they were in Japan and they went to visit one of these like monk houses. I don't know what they're called. And they were just like want, and I guess it was like this beacon of momentary light in the aftermath of the Sex in the City 2 nightmare. And that's where this whole storyline came from. I mean, this makes sense because they have this bizarre rule where everything in the show has to be based on something that actually happened to them in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, which is completely mental. So we've got Charlotte leaving the office because she's got to get back to her family. The cunty gallerinas and then the other one that made Charlotte feel okay want to take her out. Charlotte looks incredible in this suit. Oh my God, it's the best. Her and Miranda's work looks have been an incredible addition to the show. I guess she does know how to dress for her body now, but whatever. If it got us this vaguely Mugler suit, I'm into it. And now we are at the Brooklyn Comedy Club or the Bicklin? Because all the vowels are taken out of this comedy club. Yeah, it's like the Tinder of comedy clubs. Uh, where Carrie and Aiden are lining up. Aiden says, I don't want to be in the front row because I was once at a front row of a comedy show in Virginia, which would have loved to see the Norfolk, Virginia comedy scene. <laughs> and he said, some, some comedian called me a country lurch. Honestly, I don't think lurch is not hot. Not no about lurch, honestly. Well, yeah, I mean, we're very lurch sexual people, but I think it more had to do with the with the height. This is where Carrie says, you know, I only invited 15 guests for the last supper. You know, I'm leaving one chair open. And I was like, for Big's memory. And she's like, for you. <laughs> and he's like, country lurch is never going in there, which she's moving for you. All the shit is out of the apartment. This better be leading to a resolution where he finally fucking goes in because this is getting very weird. I think any therapist would be like, you should go in to break the cycle of whatever fear you have in this apartment. You guys are building a life together. It's not like, well, once I sell this, we'll look for a place together. Like you have your life together set up. It does seem kind of out of character, I don't even care about it that much. Like, it's getting a lot of screen time. But, yeah, I assume you're right. Like, is this going to pay off in some way? Like, he comes to the final dinner and it means something? The Hampton storyline didn't pay off. I don't think Seema and Carrie will be spending time together in the Hamptons. No, they got their deposit back. So Miranda shows up explaining, I can't treat Che the way I treated, and you think Steve, but instead she says, Skipper, and you're like, Okay, I'm into the deep cut, but, like, what the fuck? I know. I do love a deep cut. I was wondering, like, what's Skipper doing now? I bet he's thriving. He was always true to himself. I'm sure quite like the uh, resolution of Shoshana's plotline in Girls, which is, like, one of the best storylines ever, which is you don't see Shoshana the last season of Girls, and you're like, that's weird. Did they write her out only for it to be a bit where Shoshana's like, oh, no, no, we didn't, you didn't lose touch with me. I don't want to be friends with you guys anymore. (laughs) I have much better friends. Like, please leave. 
So Miranda reveals that Che doesn't know that they will be at this comedy show and that Miranda is surprising them. And I got to say, Sarah Jessica Parker's face of like, oh, no, I'm about to watch a slow speed car crash in front of me and I can't stop it. I know that was good. Okay, can we discuss the warm up comedian? If we must. I mean, it's like so cringe that I can't even mentally process it they are doing jokes some crowd work they spot a as they say a cis hetero guy with his cis hetero girlfriend looking for some non-binary dick pussy and just the emphasis of dick pussy i just as someone like i don't have sensitive ears i curse a lot but like my god i was just like really that's what you do you're just pointing out strangers in the audience and calling them out for being cisgender number one even if they were don't do that don't do that because you wouldn't just point at people in the audience and be like trans person well but i was like oh okay so everyone in the world of just like that is not funny but you you hear the the resolution is that person goes i'm trans and everyone's like ha, 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 ha. i don't know it cuts away really fast but it's just like isn't that really offensive? There's something about in just like that where they're trying to be so, so woke that the pendulum swings back and it is equally offensive. Yeah, well, it, that's what I didn't understand. It's like, is the joke that this non-binary host of the thing made a giant faux pas and misgendered the person? I think it's like, how dare you assume I'm cisgender? Like, you know, that shirt? It's like, I think they're all like, oh, you think I'm a cis-hetero guy, but actually I'm trans. We're all the same. Safe spaces. And then you cut to Aiden, who's like, that's why I didn't want to be in the front row. And yeah. I'm like, I get it, Aiden. But it's actually not a safe space. It's just like the kind of space where like people are just going to like point at you from a distance and shout out your gender and get it wrong. Like, I wouldn't want to be there. We're about to get into Chase comedy concert. I, this seems par for the course. This was a, a great warm up of where things were going. The appetizer, if you will. Uh, yeah, the appetizer. <laughs> so Chase prepping jokes. Toby shows up, which is like, oh, right. We have to give Che a love interest, of course, because... It's not enough to have side characters. We need side characters for the side characters. And their naming Toby is hilarious to me. It's, like, it's just the most on-the-nose funny name that their name is Toby. <laughs> so then Che gets on stage and all the jokes are about Miranda. And they are incredibly mean-spirited jokes. Like, you just got us on the side of Che. Did you also like Che more outside of the relationship with Miranda? Oh, for sure. They're saving animals. We love. How did you feel about this? This is exemplifying perfectly why we as an audience don't like Che as a character. It is not like they say in the Reddit Room podcast that they're the reason that Miranda and Steve broke up. It's not that at all. It's the fact that Che is a narcissistic, self-involved, virtue-signaling hypocrite. Here they are publicly shaming and making fun of their ex-partner for being a person who's exploring their sexuality and still figuring out their identity in adulthood, I guess, like as if that's a humiliating thing to be doing. Also referring to their ex-partner as a straight woman by erasure, Meanwhile, Che's whole fucking thing, whole thing is that I'm a queer, bisexual, non-binary, poly, like, et cetera, add 75 adjectives here. And if you don't accept me for that, 
Fuck you, you're the problem, cis, white, patriarchy, problematic, you're canceled. But then they go and act exactly like that with everybody else. And lastly, to finish my endless rant, it's like, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Che hadn't identified as that laundry list of things at the age of 13, right? Like, weren't they still figuring out their identity until recently? Like, when do we think Che became non-binary? Within the last 10 years, because Che is 46, which is established in a previous episode, and then we watch Cheryl Diaz's comedy from 2012. And I bet it was even less than that. And the thing is, is that this is why we don't like Che, because they're a shitty, unself-aware narcissist. Shows can and should have characters who are shitty people. They exist in our lives. But the problem is, is that we are being gaslit as an audience, saying that the reason we don't like Che is because we like are phobic of non-binary people. And it's like, no, it's because they suck as a person. I will say a joke like she brought other people into the bedroom, right? She brought four people in the bedroom, me, her, her husband, her son. It's like, all right, that is, I think, within the bounds of a good joke if you're going to talk about ex-partner. But where they completely lost me was she was confused about everything. I was confused about why I was fucking her. Horrible. So Miranda, of course, leaves and derails their performance, which you can see on Aiden's face, he's getting more and more uncomfortable. I'm sure because he's like, my bud is Steve. Like, who the fuck is this weird they them? (laughs) And honestly, I feel like... Carrie should have walked out. Like, why are you giving more allegiance to this person you met last year that you co-hosted a podcast with for six months versus your friend of 25 years? More, 30 years. I know, and would you want to stay? It's just, like, unfunny. And I do think that, as a rule, you can get away with saying almost any joke if it's really funny. As Miranda says, when Che follows her out, Miranda just goes, not funny! (laughs) I'm a bad thing that happened in your life. Where were all the jokes? Which I'm like, oh, Miranda's speaking for the audience. And then to your point about Che is this hypocrite and everything is about them, right? They go, I'm so over explaining who I am. Which, because Toby, remember, Toby comes out and is like, don't apologize. There's nothing hotter than a strong MB person. Like, literally, my brain exploded. We all screamed in unison when that happened. Followed up by, oh, I didn't ask if you were open to being called MB. By the way, Carly, I'm fully a Republican now. I've been, this show has radicalized me. Oh, these are all woke idiots. We're nightmares. This show makes me hate queer people, like, and art, question mark. But, like, (laughs) when they're at the gallery. But I wrote in my notes... This is the moment that you paused the and <laughs> screamed, I am out of my acceptance phase. I am mad again. Did I say this several times throughout the episode? No, this was the moment. Oh, this was it the was moment. the strong not NB person line that triggered you. The two MBs walk home together and Shay goes, I left my notebooks. Oh, fuck it. I don't care. And it's like, so you're a bad comedian. Like, I'm not a comedian. I know a few people who are, but like your notebooks are your fucking life's blood. You like so don't care about your future, which to be fair, in the previous episode, Chase only doing this hoping Toby comes to the performance. And he was very surprised that Toby is there. Yeah, it's like the way I'm going to attract a new partner is by displaying the fact that my personality is when I break up with someone, I just publicly humiliate them. <laughs> Want to bang? So Charlotte gets drunk with the gallerinas. She throws her phone in a margarita blender and comes home 
wasted. This was my favorite moment of the show. I think you, again, could have started this storyline much earlier because I feel like Charlotte saying, I was a person before you, a person before all of you is like, yeah, that gets at the heart of a woman who's dedicated her life to children who now that they're teenagers are like, oh, I don't know how much I got out of this. Yeah, and I just thought that this was her comedic acting at its best like she was so funny when she was drunk the i'm slaying made me laugh so yeah we got that beacon of light and then we had carrie and aiden at the hotel once again carrie explains you know our bedroom will be ready after the last supper aiden references how when che asked which i'm surprised aiden's like not for nothing but like fuck che (laughs) (laughs) yeah true Please don't ever take me to a comedy concert ever again. Uh, No, that person sucks. But Aiden references like, hey, remember a couple episodes ago when Che asked what happened between us and you said you made a mistake? Well, I made some mistakes too. And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. I can feel Chelsea's going to be relieved. He's going to acknowledge the fact that he wanted things and pressured her into stuff. And he does. But again, the execution's so bizarre. I was determined to lock it down with you that I realized that it doesn't mean shit. Because he was, right, that's referencing wanting to marry Carrie, and then he got married to Kathy, and then got divorced, so therefore the institution of marriage is unreliable to him? I interpret it as I had abandonment issues. I was trying to lock it down to create these barriers to make it harder to separate or for you to leave me, and I realized that is not insurance that's a little under a 15 year marriage like i think that that is a success just because you didn't work out doesn't mean that the relationship was for naught yeah no you're totally right i mean that is an enormously successful relationship and then he goes on to say when i couldn't get you to sign a marriage certificate i made you sign this lease on the apartment oh my god this is where your full breakdown happened he bought her apartment when it was going co-op and bought the apartment next door when their engagement dissolved he asked carrie to buy the apartment back yes at the price that he bought it for which is how we get the whole plot line that she doesn't have the money for the down payment it's where we get the line oh my goodness i spent forty thousand dollars on shoes and i have no place to live Yeah, exactly. And why she has to ask big, he gives her the money for the down payment and then she rips up. Which is, what are your thoughts? Should she have just taken that money from big? Why not? I'm kind of with Samantha on that one. Doesn't she say like, if their money's there, take it? Yeah. You know, if you have it, you give it. I guess ultimately it was like better that she got the money from Charlotte, but not knowing she was going to get the money from Charlotte, I would have taken the money from big. Yes. And when I thought it couldn't get any worse with continuity, he explains that the real reason that he doesn't want to go up to her apartment is, I'm just going to say, I thought he was going to say, I'm vulnerable. I thought if I went up to that apartment, it would doom us all over again, like the first two times, right? But instead he says, because I was worried I would get mad at you all over again. Realistically, when relationships end, we do feel anger like he would have been just mad but do you think that that's the primary thing that lingered with him post that relationship was that he has residual anger i feel like 20 years on you should have done the work to not 
be that angry. And I guess also what it means is that that anger still exists. That's the weird thing is like, I thought where he was going to go is like, I realized I was wrong. I thought we would break up again or something like that, right? That's the common denominator of their relationship, this apartment. But to be like, oh, I thought that I'd be all pissed off at you again is like, Again, such a wild left turn. Yeah, I know. It does, I wasn't thinking about this at the time, but it makes me think, like, are they going to address that anger? Like, that's actually definitely not going to be addressed. It definitely isn't, but it just reminds me of Adam Driver and Marriage Story, where it's like, I just, it feels like if Aiden goes into that apartment, he's like, every day I wish you were dead, and then just, like, punch a wall. <laughs> I want that scene. Maybe that's how the show is going to end. So then this moment is interrupted because God forbid Carrie delve into any of this with Aiden. <laughs> Kathy calls Aiden to say that Wyatt got in a car accident, taking Aiden's car out, and he drove it into a tree. So Aiden's like, I got to look for plane tickets. I got to get out of here. We cut to LTW is having a miscarriage. So it's like, all right, I guess this is how we're resolving the storyline. What was the point of this? God has a plan for all of us. I don't know. I guess it maybe really was to get the one line, thank God that abortion exists. It's weird. They don't use the phrase abortion or miscarriage. It feels very like the Seinfeld episode about masturbation where they never say the word. <laughs> Cause she's like, Hey, Hey, I'm bleeding. And like as women, we, I mean, most people understand the implication of that, but I guess the lesson is like, God really wants this PBS series. I don't know. At least we were saved from that storyline. <laughs> So Carrie is at the Gramercy apartment. Miranda calls, says that she doesn't want to come to the Last Supper because of Che, to which Carrie's like, well, you have to. These are all very important people in my life. And it's like, uninvite Che, Carrie. Fucking, uh, why are we not acting like she said very hurtful and more importantly, unfunny shit <laughs> about your best friends? Like, if we need more proof that Che sucks, like, we just got it. They just publicly humiliated your best friend. They're not invited to dinner. Also, I watched the preview for the next episode and Bobby Lee shows up a fucking again. No. No. So then Aiden calls from Virginia. He's sitting in his truck in like the most matte painting process shot I've ever seen of him <laughs> in a parking garage. John Corbett is given the most to do out of any of the actors the past two seasons of In Just Like That. He begins sobbing to Carrie saying that he should have been there. Oh, yeah. It's a capital A acting moment. I was shocked. You were hysterically laughing, which was a weird reaction. Sorry, people showing genuine emotion is funny to me. Also, I'm sorry, Carly. <laughs> His crying was very campy. And also, just if that were an episode of Grey's Anatomy or Breaking Bad or like a hard drama, I'd be like, oh, yeah, this fits in the world. We have never seen someone sob ever in six seasons, two movies, and two seasons of this show. No, it's like he transported to a different show for sure. Like when Samantha got cancer, nobody even cried. When Big left Carrie, she was angry at him. When Big died, we didn't even see Carrie cry ever, right? She just comatized. She only has one emotional reaction with Big, and that's to get- Mexicoma. Yeah, Mexicoma. <gasps> Funny as I found that scene, it is a great beat for Carrie as a character because truly that scene made me realize going back and thinking about the original series, 
everyone was there to take care of Carrie. She really hasn't ever taken care of anyone. Like even when Miranda threw her back out, she sent Aiden. Oh my God. Yeah, true. Yeah, it was jarring to see him cry, but I, I'm not anti this scene. It is nice to see her emotional progression and just to see her in a new way. And she's good at it. Like she is caretaking. Because she has been so selfish as a character overall. Her version of taking care of someone is just simply listening. <laughs> exactly. And then we got the end just like that. For the first time, I was worried. About what? I know. Is it like about the relationship? See, I read that as for the first time I was worried about another human being. Oh, really? (laughs) I realized there was a person that wasn't me. Who like has those sad feelings and that water that comes out of your eyes? He says something along the lines of, I wasn't there. Meaning I was with in New York with you, right? And I think that what this is making her worried about is like, oh, this picturesque life that I imagine where he's going to be living in New York with me in this fancy house that I spent, what, like $30 million on? Like, I, this might not be as easy as I thought. You might feel like he needs to be there with his kids. I know. The worst reading of this is that feeling of dread of like, oh, God, she's going to move to Virginia, isn't she? Oh, no. Well, what other resolution could there be, Carly? How much do we think that apartment cost? A townhouse in Gramercy Park? We could figure it out. Between 20 and 30, for sure. I can't even think about her moving to Virginia. And just like that, we're depressed again. I know. I mean, people leave New York. You and I both left New York. She's the ultimate New York girl. It was her first love. Yeah, wait, what are her loves? New York big fashion Aiden? Yeah, although now I think she's retconned it to being New York, Aiden, and fashion on the same level, and then Meg. We have spoken about the Sarah Jessica Parker-ification of Carrie, but one thing that SJP is a ride or die for is New York. So I think that I think that's also a reason Carrie will probably never leave New York. But- You don't have to wait that long. One more week and it is the season finale. We need another season because I really look forward to your guys' recaps of the show so much. I don't actually didn't don't think I told you this, but after I watched the first episode of season two, it was so triggering because I we all expected it to get better and then it kind of didn't. That for the next few episodes, I would listen to your recaps first. So that I could mentally prepare myself for what was going to happen. So it was like I had already like accepted it and then I would watch the episode. Carly, I don't think I can handle another season of this show. From what you say of the writer's room, I don't know if the writers can handle another onslaught of just negative reception to this show. No, but Lauren, it is good for your career. And that's really all that counts. You know, I'm in my uh, original series, Carrie era. I'm like, what can I get out of this? I know, exactly. I do think probably you'd make a considerable amount of money because of the existence of, and just like that. I will neither confirm or deny this. Carly, thank you for being my co-host. Please come back. Oh, I would love to. I'm such a fan, you know. And um, we'll be back next week, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.